Our first reading is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. I'm reading from the New International Version. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Our second reading is Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. The word of God for the people of God. Will you pray with me, please? Generous spirit, we pray that you would fall afresh on our hearts, that you would send us out from this place different from when we first walked in the door. We pray in the name of Christ the healer. Amen. A little over a month ago, we visited Big Bend National Park in worship, and we talked about God along the border with the parable of the Good Samaritan, the traveler in the borderlands who fell among thieves, whose life was saved by the foreigner, the one who showed sacrificial compassion and illustrated Jesus's point that we want to draw the line between my neighbor and not my neighbor. And God says, there is no line. Today, we're back at the border in the Gospel of Luke. Different story, same gospel, similar players. Luke 17 starts out with Jesus and his disciples walking in the borderlands again, traveling to Jerusalem by way of the land between Samaria and Galilee. As they near the city, 10 people with a stigmatized illness call out from a distance, Jesus, have mercy on us. Now in Jesus' day, leprosy referred to a wide range of skin diseases. For us today, the 10 people could have suffered from an addiction or mental illness 
or AIDS. Their condition was misunderstood and therefore feared. It rendered them banned from mainstream society, excluded from worship and the faith community, judged and avoided. The Jewish law was that people with leprosy could not touch or even come within a certain distance of those who were clean. And so in the story, these 10 people don't come near Jesus, but they make themselves heard as best as they can from far away. Have mercy on us. And if a stranger or 10 calls out to us from the side of the road where you or I might walk a little bit faster or suddenly become engaged in a phone conversation or pretend that we can't hear, Jesus stops what he's doing when he hears these strangers call out and he listens. Instead of worrying about his safety or his reputation or whatever else he had to do that afternoon, Jesus stops in the borderlands and he sees these 10 people, these neighbors, and he has compassion. He tells them to go downtown to the city center to show themselves to the priests in the temple and they obey. On their way, the physical signs that had set these 10 people apart, that made them outcast, disappear. Their skin condition clears up, just like that. And even though it doesn't say so, I am almost positive that in that moment, all 10 people expressed relief, celebration for a moment. <laughs> the way that I have and do when something merciful happens in my own life. I find my keys that I have been missing for a week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I get a grant to take a sabbatical. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The person that I've been worried is ghosting me because they're mad calls me back. Or someone says, yes, they will serve in church leadership. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's kind of an immediate relief prayer. It takes like five seconds or less. And it has its place, don't get me wrong, but our story from Luke makes a distinction. Nine of the people whose leprosy is cured are grateful, we can assume, but they do not pause. They may say, thank you, thank you, thank you, under their breath, but then they keep going in the direction that they are headed. Their thank you is kind of forgettable. The original distance that they had kept between themselves and Jesus only grows as they head to the temple for the priests to pronounce them clean so that they can return to their lives as they once were before the leprosy. These nine don't dwell in the sense of, wow, what a change, what a mercy. They have like passing gratitude. But today, when we're exploring prayers of thank you, we're looking at another type of thank you prayer that invites us to stay a little longer in the feeling of gratitude. Let's look at the 10th person who experiences this healing, what's different about his path. We find out late in the story that he's a different nationality than the others. Jesus calls him a foreigner. He's a Samaritan just like the good one we heard about at Big Bend, this Samaritan is a foreigner whose religious practices and ethnicity made him suspect. 
When he encountered the group of 10 people with leprosy, Jesus didn't make a distinction. He sent all 10 to the temple in Jerusalem to show themselves to the priest and to be readmitted into the community. But the Samaritan, because of his nationality, his race, his religion, would not have been welcome at that temple. Even though his leprosy was gone, he was still an outsider, still not a neighbor, still unwelcome. But it's this guy who dwells in the gratitude, who doesn't just say, thank you, thank you, thank you, and move on. The Samaritan turns back, closes the gap between himself and Jesus, falls at his feet and says, thank you. He doesn't have a lot of words to say, but he shows up anyway. He takes the time, he makes the effort to find and remain in a posture of gratitude. And Jesus receives this beloved one back. He doesn't care at all what the Jewish law says about Samaritans being outsiders. And he says, get up and go on your way because your faith has made you well. There's an evolution of specific words used here. The text says that first, the lepers were made clean. Then the Samaritan noticed that he was healed. And finally, when overcome with gratitude, choosing to savor and express it, Jesus says, you are well. The Greek word translated means whole. You go from clean to healed to whole. Something changes when we say thank you in a meaningful way. Think again about those nine people who were cleansed but didn't come back to Jesus. They went back to their neighborhood clique, to their exclusive community, giving no thought to the Samaritan who wouldn't be welcome. They were readmitted to a broken system and never thought to question it. How many times do we get like a quick hit of relief financially or in terms of our health or as simple as a good meal when we're hungry? And then we go right back to participating in systems that keep other people poor, excluded, without health care or hungry, without a second thought because our momentary discomfort was abated and we don't have to think about it anymore. Perhaps if these nine people had turned and come back to Jesus, if they had spent time contemplating how much mercy had been shown them, how very different their story could have turned out, perhaps if they had fallen on their knees beside their Samaritan brother, something about their heart condition would have changed in addition to their skin condition. As it happened, with no time spent showing thankfulness, these nine people, imagine them a week later or a year later or a decade later as the sharpness of their memory of their life with leprosy or their memory of that surprise moment of healing starts to fade. No space intentionally held for gratitude. And so other thoughts and needs and wants will start to take up their brain space. Maybe a sense of entitlement or increased dissatisfaction. 
When we're not constantly remembering this is a gift, all of this is a gift, it very easily could have been otherwise. When we're not constantly remembering that inconveniences and irritations and discomforts don't stay in their right-sized boxes in our brains, they get all inflated and they become the only things we see. When we don't take time to recognize what we have, what we've been given, we tend to think we need more and more and more. And we are less and less and less generous. And God and all the other people fade out of our picture entirely. We lose track of what God has been up to. The nine people with leprosy were cleansed the story says. But the Samaritan, when he returned in gratitude, was made whole. The gifts were given. The daily mercies and the long-term blessings change our circumstances. They make us happy or comfortable or slightly less stressed. But we are made whole when we practice gratitude with a spirit of humility. It dispels our entitlement. We are made whole when we practice gratitude with a determination to notice what is good. It truly makes us more joyful. We are made whole when we practice gratitude with a recognition that we have far more than we need. It makes us generous and eager to serve. Get up and go, Jesus says. Your faith has made you whole. Your intentional expression of gratitude has been transformative. Your engagement in relationship has changed the trajectory of your life. I love what Coco Goff said in her interview after she won the U.S. Open in tennis yesterday. When asked about her prayer life, she said that she doesn't pray for results but instead for God to give her the strength to give it her all. I appreciated her humility and her turning of prayer from a vending machine God type of prayer to a God who accompanies us and strengthens us, to whom we are grateful no matter the circumstances. And Coco's circumstances yesterday were pretty great. Like, not that hard to give God thanks in times like those. It made me think of another athlete, my friend Sabrina Little. She's a very successful ultra-marathon runner. And she earned a spot a few years ago to represent the United States at the World Championships. Now, if that were me, I might be all about sharing that information publicly, like hashtag gratitude. I am thankful that I am so successful. But a few weeks before the race, Sabrina felt a tightness around her ankle and she went to the doctor and she walked out in a boot. Sabrina had broken this little bone in her leg. It wasn't an overuse injury. It was just something that happened for no reason. And that was it. She wrote in a blog about it. She says, in one sense, I'm devastated. I won't be able to represent the United States and I feel like I've let down so many people. And in the other, 
I know that it doesn't mean much if you're only a joyful person when things are going your way. I'm going to choose joy now and thank God for my life and the good in it. She writes, gratitude isn't contextual. I don't need two feet to say thank you. I don't need two feet to say thank you. Sabrina's gratitude feels to me like the gratitude of the Samaritan man who still cannot be welcomed at the temple, cannot be part of the community, and yet chooses to pause for a long time and say thank you. Chooses to draw closer to God in a vulnerable position on his knees. It's not the kind of gratitude that says, my life is great. It's the kind that says, God is great. A thank you that can come in any circumstance can be mixed with a little bit of sadness, with vulnerability, and powerful, nonetheless. A long-term thank you, said and lived on the daily. And so how do we say it? How should our long-term thank you prayer look or sound? There are lots of ways to say thanks, right? Some people want a building named after them when they give lots of money to an institution. Some people want an award, a standing ovation, or a handwritten thank you note. How do you like to be thanked? With kind words, with a basket of fruit, or a warm hug, or an act of service in return? How do you think God likes to be thanked? Somehow I think God is less the standing ovation building named after you type, that me putting on a big show of thanks, posting all over social media, or making a big deal of thanking God in my award acceptance speech, doesn't make God's day as much as other things I might do to say thank you. Like, I think what makes God's day is when I remember how much grace has been freely extended to me, and I freely offer it to someone who has really stepped on my toes. I think that what makes God's day is what I remember that there is no getting around the fact that I have way more money, way more food, way more comfort than I need. And I give the best of what I have, the first fruits, the best of what I have to put in those boxes in the narthex for migrants. I think what makes God's day is when I remember that, goodness, I have been blessed with friends coming out of my ears, with people I can call any time of day or night who will drop what they're doing to listen to me whine. And so this other person who's been put in my life, who's not exactly who I would pick, but who seems to need someone to listen to them, who seems desperate for a friend, maybe I can show up for them. These are the prayers of thank you that are more than words. These are the thank yous that I think make God's day. When a friend has gone out of her way to save your skin, say she's given you a ride to BWI 
at oh dark 30 and then she drives you all the way back home when you realize you forgot your driver's license and then back to BWI so you make your flight. And then she walks your dog while you're gone for three weeks and deals with a sewage leak in your house and covers for you when someone shows up for an appointment you forgot you had. When a friend does all that, you might do more than simply say thank you at the end. You might want to give her something she really loves. Something that costs you something. A more thorough expression of your deep gratitude. Likewise, when God saves our skin, when we are deep in some experience of loss or suffering or hardship that we can't possibly endure, but then we do, we get through it by some power beyond ourselves. When we are graced day in and day out with the ability to breathe, to move, to do work that we love with people who love us, we might say thank you with something more than words, with something that costs us a bit. We might give God something that we believe from everything we know about God, that God would really love. Anne Lamott writes, gratitude begins in our hearts and then dovetails into behavior. It almost always makes you willing to be of service, which is where the joy resides. She writes, it means you are willing to stop being such a jerk. When you are aware of all that has been given to you in your lifetime and in the past few days, it is hard not to be humbled and pleased to give back. To close today's message, and to give us another practice to maybe try this week, I'm going to invite you into a time of prayer during which you'll use your arms and your imagination. So I invite you to close your eyes if you're comfortable, or you can just soften your gaze down at your toes or at the floor. And now take one hand and turn your palm up. You might raise it slightly or rest it on your lap if it's tired. Either way is fine. One palm up. Imagine coming into your palm all that you have been given. Let specific things come to mind. Opportunities or people who have come into your life. Imagine where you live now. Your bed. Imagine the places you've lived before. Imagine the jobs you've been allowed to do. Remember some great meals you've had this week or this year. Think of a few good memories, laughing with someone, a chance that you had to confide in someone, to have someone share a burden with you. Think of something that you are physically able to do for which you are grateful. Any other gifts you want to remember, imagine them coming into your palm 
into your body, into your life. And now turn open your other palm. You might raise that hand to be even with your others or rest on your lap, palms open. And think of all these gifts in you, all that you have received and imagine how they might flow out of you, out of this other hand that you just turned over. How specifically you might give in response to what you have received. Think of the home you have, the friends, the great meal, what you are empowered and equipped to do in this world. How will what you have received, what has entered your life, entered you, how will it flow out of you back into the world? How are you saying thank you? Amen. Thank you for being in worship today and to all who have helped to lead us. I invite you to join us for coffee hour. There are snacks and coffee and new friends to be made in the fellowship hall after service. And as you go out, I pray that you will go out with strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, recognizing that there are tens of thousands of blessings beside you. Go in gratitude and in generosity. Amen. NBUMC Weekly is a production of North Bethesda United Methodist Church located in Bethesda, Maryland. Follow us on YouTube and Facebook at North Bethesda UMC or on Instagram at Loving All Neighbors. All music is licensed via Christian Copyright Licensing International, CCLI. <laughs>